Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Hill City Church, you can have a seat. My name is Danny McNamara, and it's a privilege to be the mailman. That's how I feel. That's the word that comes to mind this morning, the mailman. I hope it's a little better than the mailman who failed to drop off the Springfield news leader to my house several times this week. You know, you hate when you go outside, you got your cup of coffee ready, you want the newspaper, and it's not there. That happened to me this week. It's okay. Life went on. But this morning, that's how I feel, like a mailman, to, to uh, a conduit, to deliver uh, the words of God. And if you're a first-time guest here this morning, a special welcome to you. I would say here at Hill City Church, we are a family. We're a family of believers. And we believe unapologetically that if the gospel is true, we have nothing to hide. And so we always start with God. So let's do that right now. Hear our cry, O God. We start with you. We need your words so desperately this morning. You've brought us all here together. As the deer pants for the water, so our souls long for you, O God. Your word, your word, your word brings life and healing. And speak to us, Father. Speak to us just like you did when you first breathed out your words. And Father, may we hear your kind voice this morning the tone and tenor of that kind voice. May we respond to what you are calling us to, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Last week, we started a three-month series through the book of Hebrews, and our foundation was laid from Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and we learned that our God is a communicating God, and he has progressively revealed himself to us through time. That's an important phrase there. He has progressively revealed himself through time. In other words, he did not speak all at one time. He progressively revealed himself to us. And in Hebrews 1, it says, after he spoke to the fathers in many parts and in many ways, in these last days, and I would submit to you, those are the days we're in. These are the last days. In these last days. And there's a sense of urgency there to that phrase in these last days it's all throughout the new testament these are the last days in these last days he has spoken to us in sun so these days were inaugurated these last days were inaugurated on the front pages of your new testament so we see that in these last days he has spoken to us in sun i would encourage you in hebrews 1 1 and 2 that prepositional phrase in son is the thesis of the book. You miss that, you get off. So we see that redemptive history has been divided into two parts. And God has communicated under both eras of time. That when it says long ago, long ago in many parts and in many ways. And then it says in these last days. There's a contrast there. So God has communicated under both eras of time, albeit using different mediums. Last week, we specifically learned that Jesus is the completed revelation from God. Christ, the completed word. That sets the thesis. Hebrews is one big sermon with one main point. 
And Pastor Brad laid that foundation so well last week with this phrase, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. In fact, when you do an investigation of all of Hebrews, all 13 chapters, and I would encourage you, it takes 42 minutes to have Hebrews read to you. Uh, I would encourage you this through these three months. I would encourage you to, to, to be reading all the way through Hebrews and try to even listen to it all in one large chunk. This phrase, this word, better, it emerges right off the page 19 times throughout the 13 chapters. The evidence marshals itself. You don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to appeal to you that this is the, the theme of the book. It's there. Better, 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 better. Jesus is better. Now today we're going to continue to behold, wrestle, and be transformed by the quality of this final revelation spoken through Son. The quality. So if you have your Bible, please join me in Hebrews 1. And, and let me just say, I'm pleading with you this morning to join me there. Um, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, it's going to be important for you to be able to track this linearly this morning. Please join me in Hebrews 1. I hope you can, uh, I hope you can find this text on your phone. So today our goal is to uncover the meaning of Hebrews 1.5 through Hebrews 2.4. We want to uncover the meaning. Like when we're going fishing, we uncover a rock and we find worms under there and we say, there, look at all those worms. We want to uncover the meaning and we want to bring it to bear. We want to bring it to bear. Uncover the meaning and bring it to bear. How is that meaning significant in the context of Hill City Church? So that's our goal. And our message, Big Idea, presents itself to us from this thought unit, from Hebrews 1.5 through Hebrews 2.4, this thought unit. And our message idea is this. If you're a note taker, here it is. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Our message, big idea, is actually the very first exhortation in Hebrews, right out of Hebrews 2.1. So we're driving towards that literary destination this morning. That is Hebrews 2.1. Picture us on a road trip. Picture the book of Hebrews like a literary journey. And we're driving towards that destination down in that context. Hebrews 2.1, right to this first exhortation. There's only about 12 or 13 things the author of Hebrews wants us to do when you look at an exhortation or an imperative, and this is number one. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. But in order to have our bags packed for this exhortation, we must see what comes before it in context. And, and really, I would, I would just back up here and say, you know, I enjoy the, the journey just as much as the destination. I really do. When I'm studying God's word, I enjoy the journey just as much as the destination. If Hebrews 2.1 is the destination, and the destination includes a strong warning for believers, I'm going to, the, the on-ramp, the on-ramp from Hebrews 1.5 through Hebrews 1.14 is the on-ramp that prepares us to hear the warning as a kind, loving warning. If you miss the on-ramp, the warning will come off as maybe pull up your bootstraps and get your ear down in there. That's not the tenor of the warning. It's not pull up your bootstraps. I'm sitting in here in my bare feet. I got no bootstraps to pull up. So 
So I think we really should enjoy the journey just as much as the destination. Now, that being said, our text presents itself in, in, in two parts. So first, two main points this morning. The first one, I want to talk about the superiority of the Son. And I'll tell you why that word is, is selectively chosen. Uh, the superiority. It's not a word I use a lot. The superiority of the Son from 1.5 through 1.14. And number two... I want to talk about the salvation of the Son. We're going to do that from 2.1 through 2.1 through 4. These two main points will prepare us to properly hear and respond to this text. They provide us the motivation for obeying the warning. We'll finish out this morning by talking what it means, talking about what it means to pay much closer attention. That is the message big idea, but how do we do that? How do we do that? We want to finish out there this morning. So here we go. Number one, the superiority of the sun. The superiority of the sun. The word, this word is carefully chosen here because it signifies the comparison referred to in Hebrews 1, 4 through 5. Having become as much better than the angels. This is verse 4. Hebrews 1, 4. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited. That's the son has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did God ever say? I want to stop right there. Let's, let's say a word about angels and about the situational context here. There's about 10 occurrences of the word angels in our text this morning. 10. This morning, now, it's not the time for a systematic study on angels, but for the sake of our sermon, it's important to know that angels are connected to the Old Covenant. Regarding the Old Covenant, a brief word here about the situation in their town might help. When I think of studying my Bible, I always think of, let's go to their town. As Pastor Brad said, then when we build a bridge and then we say, let's go to our town, the 417 Springfield area. Let's go to their town. Let's build a bridge. Let's go to our town, 417 Springfield, Missouri, Hill City Church. So when we go to their town. The original hearers of this sermon, both Jewish believers and Gentile God-fearers, they're being tempted, tempted. It's the human condition. We all face this, a temptation. They're being tempted to relapse back into Judaism. Now, this is not not our temptation this morning. I mean, nobody brought a bull or a goat into Hill City Church this morning that, I've, that I saw. I mean, stranger things have been done. But I did not see that. I used to be in 4-H. I did not see any bulls or goats being led into the theater. So that is not our temptation. This return to Judaism may give the Hebrews the security they desire because it is true. It is true that Judaism was a sanctioned religion by the Roman Empire and Christianity was not. But it is also possible that the Hebrews may be losing confidence in the power of the sacrifice of Christ. Thus they're desiring to go back to the old system of relating to God through the Mosaic law. And of course, this is a fatal and tragic move. Because it would void out the work of Christ. It would abolish the work of Christ on their behalf. So in order to feel this situational reality, this situational context of Hebrews, this context, this situation, this occasion that precedes the actual letter or the sermon, this situation creates the meaning. One, one way for us to feel this is, is to put ourselves in the shoes of our Afghan brothers and sisters this morning, our Afghanistan brothers and sisters. So this past week, one of my colleagues wrote the following on how I could pray for them. Let me read this. Christians are there. They cannot even, they cannot even trust their own family members. 
When the Taliban goes through a neighborhood, the people want protection. They give them money, supplies, information in exchange for protection for their family. As they do, some of that information includes who the Christians are in the area. And as the Taliban finds out these people, they suffer immediate persecution. The Taliban seek to make them recant. And when they do not, they're known to do several things to the family. And the goal, of course, is to keep everyone else in fear and loyalty to Islam. One extreme report. Reports that a Christian uncle to a family was skinned alive. One church leader there reported that the Taliban are likely to take Christian children. And and for, for me as a parent of four, this is where I'm left to take Christian children away to re-educate them, turn them into Islamic fighters, and and the girls into sex slaves. Many of the girls will be forced into marriage to a Taliban fighter. And again, if only a part of this is true, our brothers and sisters in Christ face a crisis. So you can imagine how tempting it would be for them to check out of the ballgame this morning. This is what what we say... uh, under certain circumstances that we're facing. We all do this at some point. Take me out, coach. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I ain't doing this anymore. We need to remember them this morning. But there are times when we're going to want to quit too this morning. We've all been here. It's relevant to think about as we think what it means to drift away and neglect such a great salvation. So in Hebrews 1, 5 through 14... We want to be able to describe the son and his superiority over the angels. And so what we have here in this text is a chain of seven Old Testament quotations that allow us to hear God addressing the son in the company of angels. This was a huge aha moment for me this week. This heavenly scene where God is addressing the son in the company of the angels and this, this conversation is bookended by two powerful rhetorical questions. One in, one's in verse 5 and one's in verse 13. And these questions that are rhetorical, they will be emphatically answered in the negative. And this will prepare the readers for the first warning down in 2.1. So God's allowing us to eavesdrop into this heavenly conversation between him and the son under the inspiration of the author of Hebrews here. So picture this scene this heavenly scene in your mind's eye, and listen to this address. Here we go. Picking up in Hebrews 1.5. This is why it's imperative for you to be having your text in front of you, either on a phone or a Bible. I do not believe this is projected back on the back screen, and I'm sorry about that. But here we go. For to which of the angels did he ever say? Here's the first quotation from Psalm 2.7. By the way, I love when authors, New Testament authors quote Old Testament texts. It represents shared knowledge between that author and that audience. It's powerful shared knowledge. This works like a movie. This, in my mind, this works like in a movie uh, where an auth- uh, in the movie, a reference is made to a previous movie. And it's all shared knowledge between you and the movie. And you pick it up right away. That's what's going on here. Psalm 2-7 is cherry-picked and pulled into this context. Look at this. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Psalm 2-7, about the crowned son of God. No angel was ever given this specific name, son of God. Angels are subordinate to the son. Look at, look at this next quotation down in the same verse, Hebrews 1-5, from 2 Samuel 7-14. Again, our second proof text from the author of Hebrews goes like this. 
And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. This is from 2 Samuel 7 where King David has made a divine promise through the prophet Nathan that David's son would be the one to build a house for God. And so the same answer to the rhetorical question that's asked in Hebrews 1.5 applies right here. No angel was ever given this promise. So when you, when you hear the question, for to which of the angels did God ever say? You say, no angel was ever given that promise. You can hear the address in the heavenly scene from God the Father to God the Son in the company of angels. And the angels are saying, that's for him, the Son, not us. Solomon may be the initial referent of that promise to David, but the author of Hebrews, looks at, look at what the author, look how the author of Hebrews reads his Bible. He's going to ultimately apply this promise to the Son of God. That is because the Davidic dynasty was an everlasting dynasty. It would come to no end. And here it is in final fulfillment. What a use of the Old Testament. It's beautiful. We know that Jesus was David's greater son. But let's keep going. Look at, look at proof text number three in Hebrews 1.6. This quotation from Psalm 97.7. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. This is what angels do. And this is our Christmas story. Remember, an angel of the Lord appeared to those shepherds that were out in the field in Luke 2. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were filled with great fear. This is Christmas. An angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be your sign. Here's your sign. Remember, of all the babies to find in the ancient world, how do you know which one's the right one? Here's your sign. Guess what? He's going to be in a feeding trough. The king of kings in a feeding trough. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Look at the next verse, Hebrews 1.7. And of the angels he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? This is Psalm 104.4 highlighting the transitory ministry of angels. Notice the language here of winds and flame. This transitory ministry of angels. In other words, it reminds me that scripture, if you start in Genesis and work your way linearly to the, to the book of Revelation, there's a road sign pointing forward, pointing forward to the New Testament. In other words, the transitory ministry of angels always looked forward to the Son. To which of the angels did God ever say, Boy, the Hebrews needed this, especially when you're tempted to go back to Judaism, which in this case represents angels, the ministry of angels. Look at this transitory ministry of angels contrasted with the son's eternal throne, showing us that scripture points forward. Scripture tells one story. Look at the next one, Psalm 40, 45, 6 and 7. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And there's the contrast, right? This is an eternal throne. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness 
beyond your companions. And those companions right there are probably the angels. Look at the next one from Psalm 102. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they also will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So the one who laid the foundations of the earth is the one who will be strapped on a cross. The one who built the universe is the one strapped on a cross. And the last one, look at this. We've come full circle down to the last rhetorical question. But to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The answer to that question is to zero of the angels did God say that. He said it to the son. This is about Jesus' present position. And this position was validated when we see Jesus applying this psalm to himself during the last week of his life in Jerusalem. So now look at verse 14. Another rhetorical question from the author preparing us for this this message big idea about for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. But look at this rhetorical question ahead of that warning. Are they angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? I mean, did you know that angels serve the Messiah in this way? Look at what they do. They render service to those who will inherit salvation. So each of us, think of me right here. I have a ministering spirit to me right now. You can't see him. We need this ministry. In this moment, I can't see these ministering spirits with my own eyes. And I, I wear contact lenses and I got bad eyes, bad eyes. I need surgery bad. I got bad eyes and I cannot see your ministering spirits. But look at, they're rendering a dispatch service to you and I. Those who will inherit salvation. You ever thought about that? That you have spirits rendering service to you right now. That, that is comforting. This brings us to, our, main, to, our, to our, main, our next main point about salvation. Look at the salvation of the Son in 2.1 through 2.18. Salvation is an important word for the Christian. Wow, that's an understatement. The problem with that clock is it's going too fast, and I wanted to park right there. Salvation is an important word for the Christian. It's a word that captures the heart of our God because it points to his desire to be in a relationship with us. His desire. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't have that personal relationship with God. He desires that with you. That's what he wants. We saw this at the beginning of the biblical story where God created us in his own image. He gave us an eternal soul. You were made in the image of God. can't believe that the dental hygienist told my wife this past week that those wisdom teeth came evolved from (laughs) can't believe that came out of her mouth in Springfield we were made in the image of God we have an eternal soul 
Tragically, this relationship between us and God was broken by sin. Genesis 3 reveals this. The way Paul tells the gospel in Romans 5 is that through one man, sin entered into the world. But, and death came in along with sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So God saves because he is in the saving business. And all the time here at Hill City, we're, we hear about people passing from death to life. And back in Hebrews 1.3, we see this phrase. Pastor Brad mentioned it. He made purification purification for sins this is atonement language and this is related to the salvation that we read about in this this exhortation slash warning so that you do not drift away i.e so that you do not neglect such a great salvation look at this warning for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was first spoken through the lord it was confirmed to us by those who heard god also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the holy spirit according to his own will so we see a community in real danger here. And I want you to be thinking now about the topic of Christian commitment and disregarding the Christian message. This exhortation is meant to challenge the listeners to right action. And this language of drifting away, it, it may very well be nautical imagery where a boat or a ship slowly drifts away from its moorings. I like how one scholar put it. This suggests a movement that may be subtle and undetected by those on board. And along with the term neglect, it points to a gradual, unthinking movement away from the faith. But drifting like this is dangerous. And it can certainly lead to ignoring. And this ignorance will be punished. We see in this warning, there's no escaping judgment. Disregarding the law of Moses resulted in punishment. In other words, salvation history under the old covenant is exhibit A, that this warning will stand, leading us all to the expected answer in the rhetorical question in, in Hebrews 2, 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We will not escape. No one will escape the penalty that belongs to disobedience. We're to put our confidence in Jesus. In, in, in this phrase, what we have heard in Hebrews 2.1. You know, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So what is that? What is what we have heard? Did the Hebrews hear directly from the Son of God, straight from the lips of Jesus? Probably not. And at the end of Hebrews, the author reminds them to remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. So maybe they were eyewitnesses, their leaders, maybe not. I don't think it matters. The point that will be made down in the context is that the ministry of Jesus was marked by signs and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if, if you're one of those this morning looking for empirical proof or tangible signs regarding the veracity of the Christian message, I would encourage you right now, look to your right and look to your left. And when you see a divinely enabled, spirit-empowered Christian, then pardon the Jeff Foxworthy quip, but here's your sign. Here's your sign. Sometimes we need to doubt our doubts. I'm preaching to myself right now. This message about Jesus is an objective message that is subjectively believed. 
and it has a life of its own, this message. It travels via missionary activity in the same way that it did for the Hebrews back in the day, 30 years after the resurrection. And it travels and it's validated. So think of it. Where, what have you heard and where did it come from? Think of the lineage of the gospel throughout church history. I mean, the book of Acts portrays the progress of the gospel better than any other early church history book that I know of. It's like the old whack-a-mole game in the book of Acts, right? You try, to slop, you try to slap the gospel down in one area, and it pops up over here. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. You can't stop the gospel. Try it. It just pops up, even amongst deadly opposition. Even in Afghanistan right now, that church is alive and well, heeding this warning. This warning for them is a loving Warning from the Savior. Let's just, for the, for the last few minutes, let's talk about this. We must pay much closer attention to Jesus. I mean, warnings come to us from God our Father. You know, he loves us so much. I think about my own son, Moses. If I was training my son, Moses, to, to be a wise son, you know, we're talking at, at our house with my two boys. It's always about, you're a warrior son, man. Be a warrior. Be a warrior for the Lord. Take care of your sisters. Take care of your mom. Be a warrior, Moses. Be a warrior, Ligon. A warrior. Be a wise warrior son. But if I, if I was training my son and we were in one of our halftime speeches, that happens usually in one of our closets, you know, where we're just having a good father to son talk about the X's and O's of life, you know, just how to be a wise warrior son. If I told Moses, hey, don't run in the middle of Kearney Street. Don't run in the middle of Kearney Street. He would, you know, if anybody, it's a loving warning. Nobody argues otherwise. The same is true right here. We must pay much closer attention to Jesus. Can you hear the kind voice of God? So, how do you pay attention? Everybody's paying attention to something. I've been, I've been, I've been told about this documentary on Netflix called Social Dilemma. Have you seen it? I've not seen it yet. I want to. I was, it was brought to my attention this past week by multiple people. A documentary on, on Netflix called Social Dilemma. I think I have that title right. But I'm interested in the science behind this documentary because everybody's paying attention somewhere. So in that documentary, what is it that, that those advertisers are selling? I'm told they're selling my attention to vendors. And I'm not getting a dime of it. I mean, I'm ticked about that, by the way, because they're not wrong. But they know what I will pay attention to. Think of social media platforms right now. This, 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 this strategy is customized just for me. I mean, honestly, yesterday at my son's soccer game, I got an email about a new soccer ball that I was eyeing up on Amazon because I wanted, you know, relive the glory days, at least in my own mind. LOL. <laughs> Just take all my money, why don't you? So they figured out how to mine for people's attention. Every millisecond that I'm on social media, it's being tracked. All the data, all the data collecting. They're creating algorithms just for me, a Danny Mac special. Thus, here it is. My attention is up for grabs. So if that's true, and it is, let me provide you some X's and O's for this week. Number one, we must pay attention to our attention. This notion of paying attention to our attention needs to be brought up to conscious level more. 
And number two, we must know that this kind of, of deep work takes training our minds. Yes, yes, sacrifices need to be made. Sure, about schedules and what you say yes to. But I think the more precise word here is training. Take CrossFit, for instance. You have to train your body. You have to be consistent. So according to the world, your attention is for sale. To that fact, you have to say, let me say that again. To, according to the world, your attention is for sale this morning. And to that fact, you have to say, no, it isn't. I will give my attention to what I have heard. Hebrews 2, 1. So again, when it comes to spiritual things, what are you paying attention to? This is why I needed my fighter verses so much this week. If you're not paying attention to what you have heard, you are probably, by default, drifting away and neglecting such a great salvation. It's a dangerous, precarious spot. This morning, so what have we heard this morning from Hebrews? We've heard about the superiority of the son. We heard that address from father to son that was not given to angels. Look at how beautiful that son is. The work that he's done. We've heard about the salvation of the Son. This living word, he wants your attention. God wants to be in relationship with you. We could say he wants you and he wants your attention. And by the way, he paid greatly for it. Through the body and blood of Jesus. What comes with this great salvation? Eternity with God. Amen. Be with them forever. If you here, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as a savior, we plead with you today. Today's the day. We'd love to talk about this with you more. Every week here at Hill City, we remember our Lord Jesus through a meal that we eat together. Down in the context of Hebrews, we find out that Jesus is our brother because of what he went through when he was made lower than the angels. He was made like us. He's gonna bring many of us, namely his brothers and sisters to glory. Jesus is the author and completer of this salvation and we're in his wake. He's not at all ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so as we approach this meal, it is so important for us to understand our salvation in familial terms. This focus on the humanity of Christ, and it's down in verse 5 through verse 18 in chapter 2. And I'd encourage you to chase that down this afternoon. It's there. He's our brother. Why? Because he trailblazed the way. When you want to check out, you say he endured he made it possible. When the going gets tough, look to Jesus. It's his work, not ours. We're in our bare feet. 